picking up in Acts chapter 9. I know that we got a lot of ground covered last week in chapter 9, right? So we got two verses, <laughs> two verses knocked out last week. We're going to, i tell you what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to triple that tonight, if, if at all possible. So we're going to try to get six more verses uh, knocked out. Now, we have a we have a ton of scripture that we're going to cover tonight. We're just not covering a lot in Acts chapter 9. Um, but because of, because of where we are in this text, um, I don't want to just fly past this, this particular thing that's happening in the scriptures tonight in the, con- uh, in the context of, of where we've been, but also just where we are in Acts 9. I know that y'all spent some time last week talking about the way and, and uh, talked some probably about, about this, this gentleman named Saul and his persecution of the way. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. Um, this, this first part, what we see in Acts 9 is... Uh, you remember who authored the book of Acts? First of all, start right there. So the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, right? Dr. Luke was, was the writer of the book of Acts. So what we see in Acts 9 is Luke telling of the thing that happened when Saul of Tarsus his life was changed forever. And so it's, it's Luke's telling of that. So we're going to go from Luke's telling of that in Acts 9, then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 22 where Paul tells the same story that Luke tells here because I, I want you to make a connection of that. So um, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. As he was traveling, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must, what you must do. The men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground but opening his eyes, he could not see. He could see nothing. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days, he could not see, and he did not eat or drink. So um, we we do pray that God would honor the reading of His Word tonight. Amen. Amen. So go from there into Acts chapter twenty-two. So what we just saw here uh, was Luke telling the story about. Uh, Saul, who we know from context of scripture a lot, we know that he was a persecutor of the church, that in some way he was responsible for for taking letters and going into different places, rounding up those who are followers of the way and having them persecuted, and in some situations, having them put to death. And so in this uh, telling in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 3, Luke tells us that there was this encounter that happened as he was going into Damascus where this light, this radiant light shone and uh, to the effect that it actually blinded him temporarily. So now jump over into, into Acts 22 and here we have who is now 
the Apostle Paul. So he didn't get his name changed to Acts chapter 9. We really don't see that name change happen until chapter 13. But here in 22, we know that this is the Apostle Paul. And in, in the context of where we are, in, in 21, he, he is in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. As kind of was his way where he showed up, there became a little bit of, um, not necessarily a full-blown riot, but, but it caused issues because people knew who he was. He's, he was very, very outspoken about what he had been called to do. And so they take him. Uh, they begin beating him, but as they begin beating him, the crowd starts surrounding. They get word to the commanding officer who comes down. They arrest Paul to get him out of the situation where, where the people are beginning to press in around him, and they're taking him in. So here in chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, so at the end of 21, he asks, he's like, can I just speak on my own behalf now? And so in ver- uh, chapter 22, verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So, what what Paul is doing here in front of the people who had gathered as he was being taken, he, took, he was taken out of the temple and taken with the commander. And when he got there, he basically motioned to people like, let me defend myself. Let me, let me talk to you as the one who's being put on trial. And as he began speaking to them and they could, they could hear his language, they're like, well, wait a minute. This is not an uneducated man. And so he begins to tell him, like, no, I am a Jew. And, and let, me, let me tell you about who I used to be. Let me tell you about what I used to do. And he talks to them about this uh, being zealous for God as you are this day. Remember the people who were going after the apostle Paul that wanted him dead Remember why they were doing it. And and not just that, remember why the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, why he was doing it. They were, it's what is described throughout the New Testament as zeal for God. Remember, the people who put Jesus to death they thought they were serving their God. It was under the umbrella of zeal for God. And as he stands and addresses them, he's like, I was just like you. I was very zealous for my God. So he he paints this picture of who he was, now picking up in verse 6. 
as I was on my way. So this is the apostle Paul telling his story of what Luke told us in in, uh, chapter nine. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what, ha- what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So Paul tells the story in Acts 22 that Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9 of this transformation that happened in his life that ultimately resulted in him having a new name and to a certain extent having a new identity. And so what we know about the gospel is that Jesus purchased the penalty for the sin that we've committed that we're no longer found guilty for the things that we've done in our past and those things are covered by the blood of Jesus. And it's, and it's God's promise to us that when that happens, that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. And that the scriptures say that he remembers them no more. I read this and as I was doing my studying this week and it was one of those things where the author was unknown, but it said that our pain becomes our pulpit. So while God doesn't remember our sin, we do. We have a tendency to remember our sin. And that can really play out a couple of different ways in our lives. You can... You can be so um, held back by your sin that it keeps you from ever really growing and, and becoming really fully sanctified unto God because you're, you're clinging to this sin, the weight of it for so long. But the other thing that it can cause in your life is it can cause worship. It, it can cause this constant state of humility before your great God to say, I know that I'm not worthy, but I know that you love me. And that's what the Apostle Paul's story is that plays out from what happened in Acts chapter nine on that road to Damascus. He never forgot who he was before that encounter. He 
He knew who he was. He knew who he was trained to be. And he knew what happened that day and the rest that happens beyond that. That's what I want to that's what I want us to look deeply into tonight because I think that like intellectually or just at the, at the head knowledge, you can always connect Saul, the persecutors, the persecutor of the way and that Damascus Road experience to Paul who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Like, at the head knowledge, you can do that. But I want to draw your attention to a few different passages tonight that I want, us, I want us to look into and consider the context of who was writing these texts, these, these passages. Because the author of the passage that we're going to look at was that guy. The one who had on his person, when this encounter happened, he had the letters on him to go put in bond believers to have them arrested, persecuted, and or murdered when this happened. Amen. Look, look with me at, at 1 Corinthians 15, and if you have... a Pastor Paul made some copies of the notes that have this. If you can just look there, I'll give you the text if you want to flip there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that, what he, that he appeared to Cephas, then the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, more of, uh, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Does Paul remember who he was when he was Saul? But look at, I mean, he, he just preached the gospel right there. And then he says this in verse 10, but by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so preach, so we preach, so you believed. Galatians chapter 1. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. Galatians 1, 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you have heard of my former life in Judaism, 
how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul's own account was he was trying to destroy Christ's church. Does he remember who he was? Yes, he does. He brings it up often. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had sent me, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul says in Galatians chapter one that he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his father or of his father's. The, the tradition of their faith. Remember, he thought that he was doing the will of the Father. He thought he was doing what was right. But he recognized that he was set apart. Even before he was born, that he was set apart. He was called by grace. Looking in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Though I, beginning in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I just, I love verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. When you read the Acts 9 account of of what happened there and and understanding that, that God was in the process of saving one of one of the great heroes of our faith in reality. He was in the process of saving the one who would become the missionary that would plant the movement that became that early church. As the gospel spread not only into 
villages of Jewish believers, but this gospel became open to Gentiles also, and Paul carried it out. And we know that that guy in Acts 9 became this guy, but when you read this, and and you read it kind of backwards, thinking back to who that person was, he calls it up. Like, do you know who I was? Do you know what I was known for? And then he says things, but for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he talked about the things that he could hold confidence in. If it was just like fleshly confidence, I'm you know, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. As it relates to the law, I'm, I'm blameless. I did it all. I know it all. You can't have more confidence in your flesh than what I have, but I'm telling you that for the sake of Christ, I count it all as complete and utter garbage. I'll lose it all. I'll turn loose of everything I've ever gained that I've ever attained to as I process through legal school and set under the teachings of Gamaliel and the other rabbis to get to this point. It's all trash. It's all garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing him. And in verse 10 in Philippians chapter 3, he says that I may know him, that I may know him. And I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Look at First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. And this is Saul of Acts chapter nine, who became the apostle Paul, now writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he says, beginning in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. And he counted me worthy He appointed me to his service. Just somebody who is a blasphemer and a persecutor, an insolent opponent, says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserves deserving a full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. 
and Paul makes sure he adds this thing onto it, just in case you forgot who the Acts chapter 8 Saul was, of who I am the foremost. I'm the worst one. I'm the chief one. I'm the worst sinner there is. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I have received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As, as Paul pleads to Timothy and, and is in the context trying to encourage him in his, in his ministry and what he's trying to do, he talks about being appointed to service. So like it's one thing to think about being a, a gutter dweller in your life and understanding the gospel, this, this grace that's offered, not because you deserve it, but because he's good. And like we understand that, like at some, at some level, there's this inspirational thing that happens where the spirit of God, the spirit of the living God draws us to himself. We receive this revelation that he loves us and that he's forgiven us. Amen. And that in that moment, as the gutter dweller, you can be like, thank God for your mercy, thank God for your grace, that you would save me. But what Paul's talking to Timothy about is not just that thing that rescues us from hell, but he's saying that he then appointed him into his service. Y'all, that's a completely different thing to not just be rescued from hell, but to be counted worthy then to serve him. And, and as Paul, at, at this point, as he's really, really late in the game for him, he's late life now, to reflect back over what happened from Acts chapter 9 to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and everything that filled in that, that gap of time, he's telling Timothy, he found me faithful and appointed me to his service. And then he's like, no, but Timothy, listen, me, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a direct opponent. What we, what we saw over here in, uh, I think it was in Galatians, where he talked about he was a violent opposer and he was trying to destroy the church. Amen. Like, not, this is not just the gutter dweller. This is not just the woman that was caught in adultery. 
So like we like to do this though, we, we like to draw these distinctions between the types of sin so we can do that. This dude was violently trying to destroy the, the baby like in, in the incubator type phase of the church. He was actively trying to destroy it. Violently were his words. And he said, like, he counted me faithful, and then he appointed me into his service. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And guess what, Timothy? I'm the worst one that God ever made. I want you to uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because it wasn't, it wasn't just that thing that happened when Ananias came and he said, be healed. Get your sight back. Whatever it was that Ananias said that now this, what, what you'll see next week later in the book of Acts that this thing that was like scales fell off of his eyes. Some kind of physical manifestation of what actually happened on the road that fell off of his eyes, now he could see again. But in Paul's telling of his story in Acts chapter 22, Ananias is talking to him and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, Ananias almost like commissioned him to go and do work from that point. It wasn't just be healed, get your sight back, but he commissioned him to go and do work. Well, Paul wasn't scared of work. He had, he had done work. He had worked really, really hard. He'd worked really hard at violently trying to destroy the church. So working hard wasn't, that wasn't a big issue. I go, so he goes and he becomes this incredible first century missionary. It was just so bold in every place he found. In fact, in Acts 22, where he's telling his story, he had just been beaten and then stands up to share this gospel. And, and hey, there were a lot of more beatings to come. Wasn't his first and wasn't his last. Lots of beatings to come. But Ananias commissioned him saying, no, listen, God appointed you to know his will You'll be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And then he talks to Timothy about, and I've been, I've been appointed to service because of this faith, because of what he did in me. He appointed me to this service. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 15, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, 
The new has come. That's probably what Saul felt like when the scales fell off of his eyes. He, he felt like that old man died, and now there's this new man, and for the first time ever, I can, I can see this revelation that came, like I know, I know what I'm supposed to do now. Verse 18, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. What is the message of reconciliation that Paul is talking about here? It's the gospel. The gospel is the message of reconciliation that all of us have been made ministers of. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I, that's, that's a sentence that you could have the tendency to, to read through in normal voice. You, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when you uh, read silently, um, the voice that's in your head is your own head. You ever thought, uh, your own voice? Have you thought about that before? Like if you're reading silently, you hear your voice in your own head. Right? Mm-hmm. right. So you could be having your quiet time or however, whatever that looks like for you to be able to spend time reading the scriptures. And you could read through that in like silently and it goes into your head and it just kind of sounds like you're reading something. But put it back in the context of the author. This was the Apostle Paul in in his writing to the church at Corinth. He was the one that had the Acts chapter 9 Damascus Road experience. He knew who he was before that. And he said, all of that stuff is just, it's rubbish, it's trash, it's, it's garbage compared to knowing this God. And when he says that we implore you, that's in, in here, maybe in Royce, City, USA, like we don't use the word implore a lot, right? <laughs> I implore you. Like, that's not something that is going to be common language. But it's a stronger word than just me asking you to do something. And I don't, we don't really need to get into like the actual definition or how you... It's more than just saying, hey, would you consider this? We implore you. There's, there's a sense of desperation. 
It's a plead. Be reconciled to God. I implore you. I plead with you. I beg with you. Like, what would it take? What, like, even tonight, what would it take for you to really fully understand what's at stake? This, this gospel changed everything. It changed everything. And, and for people to just be playing games with it, like spend some time this week going back and looking at the church at Corinth and, and what was going on there. Like, are you playing a game? I implore you, be reconciled to God. What does the reconciliation mean? Well, it means everything. This was the, this was the Acts chapter 9 saw years later that go, I remember who I was before this gospel took root in my heart and changed everything. And so I'm just imploring you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And this is not just a message for lost people who don't know, but wherever you're at right now, be reconciled to God. Amen. We implore you. As ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And then verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul had gotten to the point where he realized that the righteousness of his, of, in and of himself wasn't good enough. It wasn't going to it wasn't going to get it. It wasn't going to cut it. But because he made him who know no, knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become God's righteousness. Amen. Not of our own doing. Not because we were really, really clever. And, and because we knew the law really well and because we kept to traditions really, really well, we were, we were classically trained by the right people. We had the backing and the authority of the religious leaders. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become his righteousness. The, the one who wrote this was the one who had to have the encounter in Acts chapter 9. And, and you have your own Acts chapter 9, Damascus Road type encounter with God. My prayer for you is that you have or that this is your time to do that, like right now that you're having that Damascus Road experience with God. If you haven't already, God forgets, like, he, that stuff before Jesus is not the slightest bit concerned with. 
Paul never forgot who he was before that encounter on the road and used it every time he stood up in front of people. Do y'all remember who I was? Because I do. I remember who I was. But this is the gospel. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And, and that's, that's the place that I'll stand today and tomorrow and the day after that and as many days or years as he will give me. And I, I can look at this, at the story, the whole of the story of who Saul of Tarsus was all the way up to becoming the Apostle Paul. and say like the physical act of, of sin to the extent of violently opposing and trying to destroy Christ's church, I haven't done anything like that. But my sin still separates me from God to the same extent. And apart from this gospel... I'm still an insolent opponent. That's how Paul described himself. Of the work that God wants to do in and through me, I, I oppose that by inserting my own pride, my own will, my own idolatry. I insert that into the narrative, and when I do, I become an insolent opponent of the things that he's wanting to do through me. In, in the same way that Saul was before what happened on the road to Damascus. It's who I become. So I have to be reconciled to God. Amen. Again and again and again and again. 110% believe that the scriptures, the revelation of God to us teaches us that once we are sealed by the spirit of God through Jesus that we can't lose that, that can't be taken away from us. Amen. But I still have to reconcile myself to God regularly to turn back to him, to, to reconcile my thoughts to his, to reconcile my heart to his, to reconcile my action to his. And if we collectively, as his church, have been given the, the ministry of reconciliation, and if we recognize that what that means is that we're ministers of this gospel, and it's as though God were making his appeal through us to the world, that we are imploring, that we're begging and pleading people to be reconciled to God, and if you have friends and loved ones and people that you're connected with on a regular basis that have a tendency to fill up their life with a lot of things that distract them away from what God wants for their life, you understand the desperation that Paul is giving, the desperation in his voice here in 2 Corinthians 5, where he's imploring them like, just, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. 
We've, we've felt that. We've, we've been in that situation with people before. Just be reconciled to God. We, we can't do it for people. We, we know that, we get that, and we pray earnestly that God would do the work that only he's able to do in people's hearts. But it should never keep us from imploring people to be reconciled to God. I think that's our ministry. In my studies this week, I came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, I may know all the doctrines of the Bible, but unless I know Christ, there is not one of them that can save me. I can know all the doctrines. And that's who Saul of Tarsus was. It's really important, I think, that we keep this stuff in context with Saul and with the people who drugged Jesus in to be beaten and killed. That those people were what was known as zealots. They were were zealous. They thought they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. I may know all the doctrines of the Bible, But unless I know Christ, there is not one of them that can save me. And that's what what the Apostle Paul said. I want to know him. I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection. I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in death. Your pain can become your pulpit. It becomes that platform that you stand on to share with the world the gospel of hope. Hope that goes way beyond just circumstances and things like that. The message that Paul preached throughout his life from what happened in Acts 9 all the way up into his death the messages there that's over and over and over again. I just wanted to draw your attention to not to a few things to put his life in context. So you just blow by this story of this Damascus Road experience and it just becomes part of our trek through the book of Acts. But to tap the brakes for a minute and point out a couple of things along the lines of his life to go, the one who wrote this, like, and there's a lot of stuff there that's like the, the coffee mug verses, right? Or the ones that people put on t-shirts and things like that. Put his life in context. Amen. The one who wrote those things, those verses that we have a tendency to really hold on to, the one that wrote that violently opposed and tried to destroy the church of Christ in the first century and made it his personal mission to try to stamp it out, was carrying on his person letters to go arrest, imprison, and possibly see killed people who were followers of the way. God had different plans for his life. And from that moment on, his message was, this is the gospel, now be reconciled to God. And it, it, I really like things simplified. 
So for me, that works. Here's the gospel. Be reconciled to God. Here's the gospel. Be reconciled to God. And I hope that I just, that God would just give me the opportunity to preach that message until he calls me home. That's all I want to do. Here's the gospel. Be reconciled to God.